You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Good morning, church family. This is Pastor Greg. Man, uh, we were excited about being together with you today, but uh, you know what? I mean, sometimes things happen, and obviously we are experiencing inclement weather. And, you know, uh, but honestly and truly, maybe with the things that are going on, a lot of folks sick right now, uh, God just might have us kind of stilled at the house for, for the moment. I don't know those things, but what I'm thankful for is the opportunity to be able to come to your house uh, through, you know, video like this and to just share the gospel with you. So uh, doing our best to try to be the church when we can't be together as the church. I want to turn your attention this morning to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and I want you to think about this, uh, the fact that we need to be careful with the gospel. And so as we dive into Luke chapter 7, I want to lead out uh, by just kind of doing an overview before I read the verses. In Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus is calling his disciples, his apostles. Uh, If you've been doing your reading, you know kind of where we're at. Uh, He preaches a great message to them and to all the multitudes in chapter 6. Chapter 7, he's demonstrating, uh, you know, his power uh, and he's discipling people and he's doing it in a unique way. He's still teaching some, but he's also demonstrating, uh, you know, life as a Christian before their very eyes. Then in Luke chapter 8, he continues to preach and to challenge all the people around him. But then in Luke chapter 9, I think he gets really intimate and kind of more specific with his disciples. And so in Luke chapter 7, though, I, I see a, uh, a few verses of scripture there that kind of wrap all of this together. And I want you to listen as I read the first uh, 10, cha- 10 chapters, the 10 verses out of Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7 verse 1, it says, Now when he continued all his sayings, or concluded all his sayings, I'm sorry, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And verse 7 says, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man that's been placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, um, who had been originally sick. And so let me, let me just take a moment and pray uh, for us this morning as we, we dive in. Lord, uh, today, God, uh, my prayer, uh, first and foremost, God, is that we would be very careful with the gospel. Uh, that we would, uh, as we go through your word, God, that we would um, be uh, accurate with the, the reading of the gospel into our hearts and then the sharing of our gospels from our hearts. God, please be with everybody that's on the road today. I know there are many, many that are just, uh, they're out working in uh, nasty conditions. And we pray even now, God, for them, uh, that they would be safe. And so, God, today, would you take your word, do what only you can for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Be careful with the gospel. When I take and I look at this, uh, this text that we have before us, I want to share with you some things that just stand out to me and then kind of support that from 
chapter 6 all the way to, to chapter 9. So notice something here, and, and follow along with me in these, these few verses. Now, I want to I reread uh, ver- the first five verses, but I want you to be careful to listen. And matter of fact, let me just pause for a moment. If you don't have your Bible with you right now, I should have prefaced this at the very beginning, but if you don't have your Bible open, Take a moment, go get your Bible. You won't miss much. I mean, most of y'all have your phone with you. Anyhow, you probably take your phone as you go get your Bible. Maybe it's within reach. Um, you know, if there's no dust on it, knock the dust off of it. Open it up. Listen to those pages. You can hear the pages in here. Listen to the pages. Maybe you've got your device, another tablet or something like that that you can open. But I encourage you because I want you to see it. I want you to read it as well. It's not just me trying to read the Bible for you. This is you following along with me as we teach the Bible. Okay. It says, when he had concluded all these things, his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant. Now, a centurion was like a a captain in the Roman army, uh, would have had most likely at least 100 men up under his uh, authority. So he, here's a centurion servant, but don't forget, this is a Roman centurion. We're not talking about uh, somebody that, that is proclaiming to be a Christian at this moment, uh, you know, but just, just put, your, put the, the framework of this picture together. His, his, he has a servant who is very sick and ready to die. So the centurion, he's got a servant, somebody that's, that's a servant under him, and he seems to be at the point of death. He's very sick. And when he heard about Jesus, now... Uh, so, the, so the servant has heard the, about all the things about Jesus, you know, the word about who Jesus is and the things that he's doing and what he's teaching, the authority that he has. It, it, it's kind of making its way across the landscape. So it's spreading. The centurion catches the wave. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. Now let's pause there for just a moment. He's a centurion, and he's going to say in later uh, verses that he has authority. He recognizes Jesus' authority, but he also is someone under authority, and he says, I understand how it is. If I tell somebody to go and do something, they go and do it because I have authority over them. You have authority, and I, I want you to use your authority to help me. He commands troops. They do whatever he says, but it seems that the elders of the Jews, they also follow the centurion's commands. Now, I think this is important that we grab this because, you know, the Jews, let's think about it. The Jews are not like the biggest fans of Jesus at the moment. You you with me? So they're not like the biggest fans of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the elders of the Jews and the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the, the, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, and, and the leaders of the Jewish people, they're the ones that are wanting to kill him, okay? They're the ones that are plotting and, and putting together. But you also, I want you to keep in mindset of a Jewish elder. You know, when we think about the prodigal son, and the story of the prodigal son, one of the things that stands out when we talk about the story of the prodigal son, if, we, if you have time and you're going in there and digging, for the, for the father, that Jewish father, to run to the son, that was not becoming of that father. I mean, it was that uh, Jewish men were to maintain this great integrity, um, you know, and that they were, uh, to some degree, I mean, think about it, they were pretty pious people. And so this Roman centurion is governing authority over the Jewish elders. Now that's something that's hard to believe because why would a Jewish elder be under the authority of a centurion's uh, 
a centurion in the Roman army. Because, and you think the centurion doesn't think twice about telling the elders of the Jews to go get Jesus. And not only does he go to, to get Jesus, listen to what it says in verse 3. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent, the, the Roman centurion with authority sent the elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and to heal his servants. Look at verse 4. And when they had come to Jesus, they begged him earnestly. Can you get that picture? Here is Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming to be the son of the living God, to have all authority and all power to heal heal disease and sickness and also to forgive sin. Don't forget. I mean, they, they tell him, you know, what right? Who is this who heals people, who forgives sin? And they're at the feet of Jesus, groveling and begging for Jesus to come heal the centurion servant. This picture does just does not paint right, does it? I mean, we we think about how this picture is playing out, but but think about this: it, it's not matching up. I mean, why would these uh, self righteous religious people be begging at the feet of the very person that they say they don't believe? Say they want to kill him, and we'll see it in just a minute. I'll show it to you. It's just odd, is it not? I mean, it seems that the elders of the Jews also follow after the commands of the centurion. Then Jesus is the one that they hate. The Jews, they would even walk around. Listen, I want you to think about this. They would even walk around a city like Samaria, would they not? To keep the dirt from these pagan, wicked, nasty people. I don't even want the dirt from their city on my feet. But yet... A centurion, a Roman centurion, he snaps his fingers and they run and do one of the most despicable things that they could possibly do in that particular day. And I'm talking about literally not just that time span, in that particular, on that day, one of the most despicable things that they could possibly do. They are at the feet of Jesus Christ groveling. Don't you forget that one of the rulers of the Jews had Jesus at his house? and would not even give him water to wash his feet. And here is a woman who comes in, breaks an alabaster flask. She washes uh, Jesus' feet with her tears, wipes them with her hair. She anoints the feet. And what do the religious people of that day say? Does he not know? I mean, if he is who he says he is, does he not know that she is a sinner? I mean, put all these pieces together, but yet you see these Jewish people groveling at the very feet that the woman anointed. I mean... Something's up here. They knew it all and were proud of it, the Jews. They were hateful and wanted to harm Jesus for healing in chapter 6. Now, I'm going to flip over there. I just want you to see it. This is one chapter prior, verse 11 in chapter 6. But they were filled with rage and dis- disgusted with uh, and disgusted with one another. That they, uh, I mean, they, they discussed it with one another what they might do to Jesus. Why? Because he healed a man's hand. Listen. Here's a man with with a withered hand. He heals the man's hand. They want to kill him. But yet here's a centurion servant centurion's servant that is sick and they're begging Jesus to heal him. What's the deal here, folks? What's 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 going on? All right, so uh and 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 watch them in chapter 7, they follow the commands of the centurion uh but would not listen to the son of God. I just want to put that little plug in there. They listened to the centurion. They did what he said to do. But here's Jesus, the very son of God with all authority and all power. And they didn't listen to him. Jesus, in this chapter, I believe he's going to pick out one of the most obscure people uh, that that you could uh, could imagine. And 
uh, I want to just, I guess let's, let's dive back into the text so I don't uh, get ahead of myself and let's just follow our way out of here. I'm going to go back to verse 3. So when they had heard about, uh, when he had heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews with him, pleading with him to come to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one whom he should do this for was deserving. Now, here we start understanding some of what's going on. They said, you need to come heal this servant because this centurion guy, he is deserving of you doing this great thing for him. They want Jesus to come do one of the magic tricks that he does. And they want to do it because they feel like the centurion is deserving. And they tell why they think he's deserving. Right in verse 5, here the answer to all of this, uh, the questions, all of the picture, why, why does it look so obscure? It's all going to come into a clarity. The, the blurriness is going to fade away, and you're going to see it. And, folks, I, I hope you're watching right now in your own Bible. I'm, not, I'm reading out of the Scriptures, but you need to know what I'm reading. You need to see it. I believe this, and I'm just going to pause for a second. I believe that the word of God is powerful. I believe just as it says in Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of joint and marrow, soul and spirit, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that it is not uh, just a, a, a dead tree with some print on it. It's, it's alive. It is living and breathing. It is, it is brooding. It's, it's just it's captivating the hearts of men that would uh, that God would open their hearts and, and allow them to hear hear these words. It is convicting to those that are living unrepentant lives, living lives uh, contrary to the Word of God. Uh, I mean, it literally it cuts, as Jerry Vine says, uh, that man takes a sword and he cuts from the outside inward, uh, but that God has a sword that cuts from the inside out. So God gets down very uh, into the very intent of our hearts. And, and he uses his word to change our hearts, but he does it through our minds. And that's what I'm trying to help you with right now, is that God taking his word, if you would open his word, you allow his word to come into, into your, uh, your mind, he will change your heart uh, through the ministry of the Spirit of, of, of God. So um, that being said, listen to what he says. He says, verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Um, it seems to be that this is the very heart of why they're doing what they're doing. In other words, they love, um, well, they, they loved what would get them what they want. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me just do this. Um, let's go to, let me go just a second to a, uh, an excerpt from my journal. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, verse uh, 37, it says, Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadareans asked him to depart uh, from them, for they were seized with great fear. Uh, he got into the boat and he returned. Jesus not only is uh, there uh, healing the Gadarean demoniac of the demonic spirit, spirits and, and casting them out, but he's doing it with great authority. Um, it seems to be that the gospel so often it it, um, it, it attacks the authority of the the man of of man's heart uh, of our desire to have things like we want them to be, and I know that the Jews had had a system that was set up like many of us have, and and even some believers I mean as believers we can have our own system set up. 
so I'm, I'm gonna switch gears on you here just a minute I, I say switch gears but I'm gonna, I want to take you to uh, maybe an illustration some people like this illustration some people might not like this illustration but nevertheless uh, you know I, I, I remember back and I, and uh, I'm, I'm gonna get a little political on you for, for a minute but and some people say that the church should not be into politics there is no way possible for the church not to be political because political uh, political things that that's our everyday lives that's what we live that's that, I mean we if you are not impacted by political things in your life you're not living right so <clears throat> I remember back when a lot of Christians uh, professing Christians uh, made statements uh, like that led me to believe that they put their faith and trust in Donald Trump to save their day, you know, to uh, make America great again, which that was the slogan. And almost to the point where I heard people per almost backing him like he was some super godly Christian dude. And, hey, like it or not, let me just tell you this. Uh, and I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I mean, I, this, I think this is something I need to be transparent about for you so that you can understand what I'm, what I'm getting at. I voted for Donald Trump, but I did not vote for Donald Trump because he was some godly man. I'm not stupid. I've, been, uh, I've watched TV for a long time, The Apprentice and all these other things. I, I've watched The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson over the years. And, and, and I'm not sitting here trying to tell you that Donald Trump saved, Donald Trump's lost. That's not my point. He's just a figure, okay? I want you to, but I want you to think about this. Wasn't it amazing how many people put all of the, the glory in him being the savior of what we claimed we wanted? I, I'm afraid that we missed the mark in some ways. Uh, was he a great businessman? Yes. And this is not about Donald Trump. This is about us. There are people that put their faith in uh, the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. There are people that have put their faith in the Clintons, put their faith in Obama, and all. as who's going to help us live a life that we, choose, we want to live. My point in this is, as a child of God, we have to get our eyes off of trusting men for our future. The Bible says that God is the one that appoints kings and takes kings out. You know? And so if God so chooses to point, appoint somebody into that position, that doesn't mean we don't vote not getting into all that. I just want to, I just want to get a point across to you today. If we're not careful, we'll be no better than the Jews were in that day. We'll be no better than even Satan was when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Satan thought he had all power and authority had been given to him and that he could dispense it at any moment that he wanted to for whatever he wanted to use it for. But nobody's going to sit in that seat that God does not sovereignly ordain to be there. And he might appoint somebody that gives America what's, what we would consider to be a heyday, but then he might appoint somebody there to, to impoverish us. What I know is that there's a couple of things that stay consistent. The gospel. Whether America is great or not great in your eyes, whether America is thriving financially or not thriving financially in your eyes, the gospel is still the same. 
because the gospel is not about financial prosperity or uh, a physical peace within a nation. Uh, that, that's not what the gospel is about, where we spend eternity and, and what God has done to bring good news to a bad situation. And so that's the gospel, and the gospel never changes. It is not the gospel of any particular president. It is not the gospel of any particular Christian. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when I look at these Jews, and I want you to stay with me for a moment. I'll bring this around. When I look at these Jews, they would break every religious tradition that they had held high. They would even go so far as to to take a chance to look idiotic in the eyes of the people that were around them from everything that they said they believed and everything that they uh, professed to do and they're at the feet of Jesus groveling and begging why because of political reasons this man listen to what he says this is the Bible he loves our nation right national pride and there's nothing wrong with national pride but it cannot be above the gospel and he built us a synagogue he has done something to make our lives like we want it. In other words, uh, he's, he's taking care of us. Uh, and even though, you know, you know, it's amazing. This, this centurion built them a synagogue. He may have never stepped foot in it. He may have that, that time never cared anything about God. And then all of a sudden in the providence of God to show who he is and to show the gospel for what it truly is, he pinpoints the most obscure person in the whole chapter, the centurion. Listen to what he says. Um, verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, this is chapter 7, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The, the Jewish elders are the ones that came to Jesus and groveled at his feet, but they didn't grovel at his feet because they had faith in him. They groveled at his feet because they were playing a political move. And if you don't watch out in the day and time that we live in, you will follow after people that are making political moves, even in the church, just to get what they want. Even in my own denomination, a bunch of political moves just over and over again. And I'm telling you right now, you've got to be careful with the gospel. We must be careful that it's the gospel and the gospel alone. We have to, let me take you to chapters, chapter 9. Watch chapter 9. I'll come back uh, to my journal entry in Luke 7 and, and close it that way. But watch chapter 9. In chapter 9, it gets serious. In chapter 9, I'm not going to read for time's sake, but you have John the Baptist being murdered for the gospel. John the Baptist is not going to bend to political pressure. I mean, here is a king and a king's wife and the daughter, and, and, and they are wanting what they want. They don't care who they step on. They don't care, who, who, they don't care anything about the gospel. And, and here's fear thinking that John the Baptist, uh, that Jesus is a resurrected John the Baptist. In other words, they've got John the Baptist captured in prison. They think that John is somehow spiritually escaped, but they fear this authority in him. And don't miss that. I'm a man under authority also, and I don't want people to fear me, but I'm telling you right now, I want people to be brought under the reverent fear of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has so commissioned me to preach. And they have John the Baptist, they, they behead John the Baptist because of the gospel. Then Jesus goes in chapter 9, verse 23. 
Then Jesus said to them all, this is right after he tells of John the Baptist being beheaded. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Did you hear that? I mean, think about it, folks. What good is it if we make America great by our definition of great and we, we, we preach a weak, watered-down social gospel that sends people to the very pits of hell? And we stand before God one day and we had the truth, but yet we desired to save our lives instead of losing our lives. I mean, what good is it for us? So let me go back to my journal entry on Luke 7. Um, uh, let me read. The, I'm gonna read this little note, and then I'll uh, I'll go. Uh, we have to be careful. Careful that we are not more confident in the ones who provide us with what satisfies our flesh than the one who saves our soul. Because I'm telling you right now, there could easily come. It's already here, but there could easily come a time when we are going to have to make a decision: Will we take creature comforts, possibly even like food and water? Uh, provisions will we take the stand even if it cost us if somebody is even standing there saying we will kill your wife and your children if you do not renounce Jesus Christ you say I've never really thought about those things well I can promise you right now that our brothers and sisters in third world countries are living living this every minute of every day they are making these decisions will you deny him or will you stay with him? If you stay with the gospel, then, you know, you're going to die. Your family's going to die. And I have somebody in my family. Uh, my granddaddy's brother was in South America. Militant people came in. They were missionaries down there. Militant people came in and raped his wife, female daughters, in front of his very eyes, killed all of them. But not until that was happening. I'm telling you. That can happen here. But in some ways, it's already happening. We're selling our children off to the enemy by not sticking with the gospel. We're letting other people teach our kids that what they believe truth is, and we're not standing for the gospel. And in some ways, I don't know what's worse, that we watch this play out and have to endure all of the hardship of, of a society around us and our families that are just led so astray while we are so weak back that we won't stand for the gospel knowing that it's the power of God unto salvation and knowing that it's the only thing that is going to make an eternal difference. Luke chapter 7. This, this whole thing that I had uh, read to you just now, and I guess let me put this in there, that Gadarean demoniac that I read about, the the fact that they, um, you know, they 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 were fierce, like they they wanted him to to leave. That's going to happen sometimes with the gospel because the gospel is so aggressive. It it's an offense. So let me just say this: if you are if you are a part of church life, well, any church. And you are sitting there going, we, we need to make sure we make things comfortable for people. We don't want people to feel you know, out of place when they come to church or whatever. If people do not feel out of place, the gospel is not being preached. 
The Bible says that the gospel is an offense. I understand all the stuff. Hey, we got coffee. We got waters. We got air conditioning and all that stuff. But I'm telling you right now, there is a line that is drawn in the sand that I will not cross. I'm not going to accommodate your sin just to make you feel better. Because the Bible, the gospel does not accommodate my sin to make me feel better. We have, I wrote this just in the top. It says, we have to be careful and not let compassion for people become our gospel. I mean that in so many different ways. Uh, I have to be very careful that we don't miss the faith of the obscure people in the world of self-motivated confusions while also making sure we keep the integrity of the gospel all at the same time. I just put you in the context of all the scriptures that we talked about from chapter 6 to chapter 9. Jesus is healing people. No doubt he healed people. People are bringing people to him, yes, because they have an affection for those people. The centurion is not the only one that brought somebody to Jesus. I mean, there are other people that are bringing deaf people, lame people, sick people, hurt people. They're bringing, and it's legitimate. They're hurting and we have a lot of people. Maybe you're hurting right now. You have somebody that, you know, is on your heart. Maybe you're hurting and, and, and all. And you, you're just like, what can God do for me? That compassion for people cannot come first before the gospel because we have to believe that God's heart of compassion for the lost and the dying has to be correct no matter what we think. And it's got to be the gospel first. You know, I remember uh, uh, Judas and uh, was stealing from the treasury. Uh, you know, they're there at the house of Mary, Martha. Lazarus is sitting at the table with them, you know, and, and there, there's the oil that is used there to anoint Jesus. And this oil could have been sold and we could have helped so many, uh, you know, hurting people. And Jesus says, the poor you have with you always but me you only have for a time. Do you see the principle that is being driven forward? The principle is that it's Christ and Christ alone. It is the gospel. And we have to be careful that we don't let political motivations, we don't let personal desires, we don't even let compassion for others trump us making the gospel first. We have to be careful because our hearts desire to be comfortable. Our hearts desire to have what we want. That's what we're facing today. That is the new gospel that the world is trying to propagate. Is that if it feels good to me, why can't I why is it wrong? Why can't it be right for me? And the simple answer to it is because the gospel says it's wrong. Well, folks, uh, I pray that uh, during our time together today, you have uh, God has at least given you something that you can take and you can live uh, another journey, uh, another step, another phase of your life, uh, keeping the gospel at the forefront. And as you make those hard decisions, as you as you challenge your God, the Word of God challenges you in your homes, in your church life, in your personal life, at work, and, and other things that you will make sure knowing that no matter what else is going on, if you stick with the gospel, God's going to be pleased and he is going to be victorious in the end. Until next week, God bless. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.